0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the May 13th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez with Floyd, Skarin & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A new WCAB in-bank decision held that a medical legal lien claimant cannot avoid the lien activation fee by pursuing costs under Labor Code Section 5811.
1: Here's what happened in
0: the case of Luis Martinez versus Ana Chirazas. In April 2011, applicant Luis Martinez resolved his claim against Ana Terrazas and Allstate Insurance Company by compromise and release. In August 2011, New Age filed a lien for copying and related expenses. The expenses claiming were for subpoenaing and copying legal, medical, and employment records at the request of applicant's attorney. After SB 863, New Age withdrew its lien and instead filed a petition for labor code 5811 costs for the same expenses. This was apparently an attempt to avoid payment of a lien activation fee. The WCJ denied the New Age petition for costs holding that it could not abrogate its obligation to pay the lien activation fee. New Age appealed. The WCAB in the in-bank decision held that claiming photocopy expenses under Section 5811 costs was inappropriate. The Legislature has established an extensive statutory scheme for medical legal expenses. Medical legal expenses cannot be sought through the filing of a petition for costs under Section 5811. This in-bank holding applies to all medical legal expense claims regardless of whether a pre-injury pre-January 2013 lien was filed when the claimed medical legal expenses might have been incurred, or the nature of the medical legal expenses claimed. And in regulatory news, the anti-pro-athlete bill, working its way through the California legislature, has been amended with a controversial 80-to-8 rule. AB 1309 was authored by Insurance Committee Chairman Perea to address abuse of California's ultra-lenient workers' compensation system. As is, the system lends itself to abuse by allowing former professional athletes to file claims in California even if their contacts with the state are minimal. During the Insurance Committee hearing, Assemblywoman Torres noted that some claims involved former athletes whose only contact with California was their agents. They had never played for a California team, played a game in California, or even lived in California. AB 1309 was introduced to exclude out-of-state professional athletes from filing workman's comp claims in the state of California. If passed, it will retroactively wipe out pending claims as well, some that have been in the pipeline for four to five years. There are approximately 1,000 pending workers' compensation claims in the state that would be precluded if the bill passes. The original version of the bill, introduced in February, would preclude a claim if the athlete played on another pro team, domiciled in another state, unless he played more than 90 days in California within the last 365 days of employment. Critics argued that players like LaDani and Tomlinson, Tim Brown, or the late Junior Seau would all be precluded from filing a claim in California because they played on out-of-state teams even though they spent the majority of their career on a California team. Assemblywoman Paria attempted to address these concerns by amending the bill in April to include what is being called the 88 rule. The amendment would allow players who played 80% of their career and eight years on a California team to file a workers' compensation claim even if the last year of the employment was with an out-of-state employer. Critics of the amendment point out that the average NFL career is 3.5 years, and there are probably only a handful of players who will actually play eight years on one team. Thus they say that the 80-8 rule will not help many players who started their career with the California team and moved elsewhere for the remaining years of their limited career. Cal OSHA is investigating the death of a worker who was crushed in an industrial mixer at a Contra Costa County manufacturing company. 26-year-old David Elysian of Antioch was fatally injured in the incident. Rescue workers were called to the facility and found him suffering from major injuries. He was taken to St. John Moire Center in Walnut Creek, where he later died. Cal OSHA representatives soon visited the site and opened an investigation. Elysian was operating an industrial mixing machine when he was caught and crushed. Cal OSHA began a site analysis and will next interview the employers and anyone who witnessed the incident. If a serious violation is found. The employers may face a maximum $25,000 fine. If a willful violation is found to have occurred, the employers face up to a $75,000 fine. The state agency has up to six months to complete its investigation. And now our fraud report. CalPERS is trying to remove tens of thousands of people it believes are mistakenly or fraudulently receiving benefits from their healthcare roles. CalPERS is the second largest healthcare purchaser in the nation after the federal government. It spends $7 billion annually on healthcare for 1.4 million state and local government employees, retirees, and their families. Officials claim that removing an estimated 29,000 wrongly listed children, spouses, and domestic partners of government employees would save approximately $40 million annually. One industry expert said that CalPERS may have underestimated the problem. Most ineligible dependents wind up on insurance rolls because of honest mistakes. In many of those cases, children are not dropped when they should be currently at the age of 26. Employees sometimes mistakenly continue covering spouses and ex-domestic partners who don't qualify as dependents. And ex-stepchildren aren't eligible either. The new process will require verification of every dependent on CalPERS roles. The law allows the system and government employers who purchase medical coverage through it to drop anyone who should not be receiving medical benefits and retroactively recover costs. CalPERS last month sent nearly 400,000 letters to health subscribers asking them to voluntarily drop ineligible beneficiaries by June 30th. After that, Members will have to send documents proving their dependents' eligibility and could face penalties if they cannot. And while the law allows insurers to go after subscribers who fraudulently add ineligible dependents to their health insurance, they rarely do. The Washington DC-based Coalition Against Insurance Fraud said that proving fraud in these cases is very difficult. A Washington state law firm has accused one of their region's largest health care providers and a California collection agency of conspiring to defraud accident victims by using liens to increase fees and providing medical treatment. The firm of PFAU Cochrane, Vertidis Amala sued Tacoma-based multi-care health system, and Hunter Donaldson of Brea, California. The suit was filed on behalf of five Washington residents who contend they suffered monetary losses as a result of the alleged fraud. The law firm said there are thousands of other victims that it will seek to have the lawsuit certified as a class action. MultiCare operates Tacoma General Hospital and Mary Bridge Children's Hospital and Health Center, among other facilities. A spokesperson said that MultiCare Health Systems takes these allegations very seriously and have commenced an investigation. Into the specific allegations. Multicare has temporarily suspended the enforcement of all medical liens issued on its behalf by Hunter Donaldson, the Brea Collection Agency. And in medical news, a new study says that antibiotics could cure 40% of chronic back pain. Surgeons are reviewing how they treat patients with chronic back pain after scientists discovered. That many of the worst cases were due to bacterial infections. The finding means that some patients with unrelenting lower back pain may no longer face major operations. One of the UK's most eminent spinal surgeons said the discovery was the greatest he had witnessed in his professional life, and that its impact on medicine was worthy of a Nobel Prize. Peter Hamlin, a consultant neurological and spinal surgeon at University College London Hospital, thinks that as much as half of all spinal surgery for back pain can be replaced by taking antibiotics. Specialists who deal with back pain have long known that infections are sometimes to blame, but these cases were thought to be exceptional. That thinking has been overturned by scientists at the University of Southern Denmark who found that 20 of 40 20-40% to 40% of chronic lower back pain was caused by bacterial infections. The Danish team described their work in two papers published in the European Spinal Journal. In the first report, they explained how bacterial infections inside slip discs can cause painful inflammation and tiny fractures in the surrounding vertebrae. The Danish team examined tissue removed from patients for signs of infection, nearly half-tested positive, and of these, more than 80% carried bugs called propion bacterium acne. The microbes are better known for causing acne. They lurk around hair roots and in the crevices in our teeth, but can get into the bloodstream during toothbrushing. Normally they cause no harm, but the situation may change when a person suffers a slipped disc. To heal the damage, the body grows small blood vessels into the disc. Rather than helping though, They ferry bacteria inside where they grow and cause serious inflammation and damage to neighboring vertebrae that shows up on an MRI scan. In a second paper, the scientists proved they could cure chronic back pain with a 100-day course of antibiotics. In a randomized trial, the drugs reduced pain in 80% of patients who had suffered for more than six months and had signs of damaged vertebrae under MRI scans. Researchers stressed that antibiotics would not work for all back pain, and overuse of the drugs could lead to more antibiotic-resistant bacteria, which are already a major problem in hospitals. Medical treatment under the California Workers' Compensation System must be based upon evidence-based medicine. Treatment that is recommended in published peer-reviewed treatment guidelines. But a new study shows how those guidelines may not consider costs as part of the equation, researchers found that just over half of the top medical societies with at least 10,000 members considered costs when developing best practices. The other half either implicitly considered costs or didn't address them at all. But saying a treatment is not worth the cost of may worth the cost may spark fears of care rationing. It is obviously very controversial about when costs should be included in the discussion of healthcare. But the professional practice recommendations may factor into reimbursement policies among organizations that pay for treatment, like the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The ability to encapsulate potent drugs in tiny particles measuring billionths of a meter in diameter, or nanomedicine, is opening up new options for super-accurate drug delivery, increasing precision hits at the site of disease with, hopefully, fewer side effects. Three deals struck this year by privately held BIND Therapeutics, together worthy nearly $1 billion, shows a new interest in using such tiny carriers to deliver drug payloads to specific locations in the body. U.S.-based BIND is one of several biotechnology firms that are luring large pharmaceutical makers with a range of smart drug nanotechnologies. And nanomedicine is also being put to work in diagnoses with tiny particles used to improve imaging and scanners, as well as detecting some serious infections. In the future, researchers hope to combine both treatment and diagnostics in approach dubbed Therognostics, that would allow doctors to monitor patients via their medicines. Scientists in the nanotechnology field finally see a turning point in their research. Nanoparticles made of polymers, gold, and even graphene, a newly discovered form of carbon, are now in various stages of development. In cancer alone, nearly 120 drugs are being assessed using nanoparticle formulations, though most have yet to be tried on patients. Other potential applications include treatments for inflammatory disorders, heart and brain disease and pain. Companies are increasingly focused on better drug targeting to lessen the collateral damage caused by medicinal carpet bombing. And in financial news, Liberty Mutual says its first-quarter net income fell 31%, impacted by the devaluation of Venezuela's currency and premium declines primarily in workers' compensation. But the combined ratio improved 2.6 points to 98.3, thanks to overall premium increases and light catastrophe losses. CEO David Long says the company is shedding poorly performing accounts on rate increases while keeping retentions in the mid-80s and growing new business. He says, Premium growth came in the personal and global specialty lines, where rates rose more than 6%. The devaluation of the Venezuela bolivar in February resulted in $223 million in realized losses, he says. However, he expects much of that loss to reverse itself over the year with the addition of premium. Workers' Comp net written premium decreased $238 million resulting from a decline in new business and a reduction of 29% in exposures resulting from disciplined underwriting. Rate increases of 10% partially offset the drop. Long says prices escalated across all lines of business, led by workers' comp and property. And in other news, employers employers has named Bradley Hatfield vice president of underwriting, for strategic partnerships and alliances. With more than 25 years of experience in the insurance industry, he brings to employers underwriting and risk management experience from various regional and corporate roles throughout his career. He will be based out of employer's office in Glendale, California. Hatfield joins employers from National Specialty Underwriters of Bellevue, Washington, where he was responsible for the creation and growth of medical professional liability underwriting programs. Employers Holdings Incorporated is headquartered in Reno. Insurance is offered coast to coast by Employers Insurance Company of Nevada, Employers Compensation Insurance Company, Employers Preferred Insurance Company, and Employers Assurance Company, all rated A-minus, which is excellent, by AM Best Company. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, and Android device by searching for WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarron & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and drop by again next week for more news.